we have discussed the armor of God in Ephesians 6 the last few weeks. And this morning we'll be in Ephesians 6, verses 18 through 20. Ephesians 6, verses 18 through 20, if you want to open your Bibles there. I've entitled this message, The Forgotten Resource. So as we begin, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Holy, Holy Father, we praise you. We thank you that we can come worship together corporately. What a pleasure it is to raise our voices to you, Father, as we recognize giving your Son to us, sacrificing on the cross for our sin. Oh, how our sin goes so deep, but your grace goes so much deeper. We thank you for that. We ask, Father, that we are prepared for the battle, the war that we're in at this very moment. Help us to be people alert and ready, walking in repentance, bathing in your grace. Thank you for your wonderful mercy. Let us be a church empowered by your spirit, regardless of whatever the culture says or whatever anyone says. Father, help us to be following your word. Let it be our authority. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, we've learned that we have the complete armor of the Lord covering us from head to toe if we're believers in Jesus Christ. And now it's time for war. As we are poised for battle, our hearts pound as we wait for our master's instructions. We have our belt of truth fastened tightly and firmly holding our armor in place together. We pound our breastplate recognizing that it has been a source of strength and without it we would have been defeated a long time ago. We remember the countless blows it has taken over the years without the evil one ever to able to penetrate it. We look down at our shoes fit and ready to share the good news of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as we hold the shield of faith that we've moved back and forth in practice in preparation of the barrage of flaming arrows that we'll be facing just in a few moments and we get to the helmet of salvation that has been a, that has protected us in the darkest of moments we are reminded that we are fighting for the lord of lord the king of kings he's made us his very own he's adopted us into his family amen we pull out the double-edged sword which is the word of god the sword of the spirit we recognize that it is sharp, it is active, it is, it is so sharp that it can cut through to the heart of any man, the, the worst of men. We are ready to battle. We are prepared. Our armor is in place. What is going to happen next as we wait in anticipation for our master's instructions? We may say to ourselves, okay, Lord, you fashioned this intricate detailed impressive armor for us now what lord now what do you want us to do do you want us to go take this mountain over here or do you want us to go to the forest and and battle the enemy over there what's next what is that that you said lord what is that we are suited in this high class armor and the next thing you want us to do is pray you mean battle is accomplished through prayer? 
And in that instant, we're all commanded to fall on our knees as God's word says in our main text in Ephesians 6, verse 18. It says this, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Paul says it's time to pray. It's time to pray before the battle. It's time to pray in the midst of the battle. And it's time to pray after the battle. Some of you may be thinking, it's not time to eat. It's not time to go to bed. Some of us may only pray over our meals or when we're tucking our children in the bed. The armor is on, though. We are suited up. The time is now. The enemy is here. It's time to attack. We are in the front lines. The battle is on. And God's word tells us, church, to be prayerful, to be praying. Prayer is an important resource we have for the battle. Prayer shows us what we're focused on. Prayer reveals what is guiding us. Prayer reveals our source of strength. Prayer shows us who or what we are relying on. Turn with me to Mark 10, 14 and 15. Open your Bibles to Mark 10, verses 14 and 15. This is Jesus speaking, talking to his disciples, and he says this, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. You may be thinking, what does this passage have to do with prayer? Little children in the kingdom of God? Jesus is saying here, we need to to come to faith in full dependence on Christ. Like a child is dependent on his or her parents. When we pray... We show our reliance on Christ. He must give us what we need, just like the child who relies on his parents for his needs being met. For example, what would you think if you heard me talk to my son Silas, who is two and a half years old like this? Well, Silas, you're now two and a half years old. You're getting pretty old, son. You know, you're, you're growing right up. You're, you're starting to walk. You're walking all the time. You're talking. You're talking a lot. That's not really part of that, this illustration, but you are talking a lot these days. <laughs> but you're, you're get, you, I think it's time for you to get some responsibility. I think you need to be a little more responsible. I think it's time for you to get a job. These bills are piling up. You know, we need some help paying for things. You would think I was absurd if I talked to my two-and-a-half-year-old that way. My little son, Silas, is dependent on my wife and I for his necessities being met. And as a child depends on his or her parents, we are called to depend on Christ, which is revealed in our prayer life. This leads to point number one. Prayer shows our dependence on Christ. 
Point number one says that prayer shows our dependence on Christ. Who are we depending on this morning, church? Is Christ our strength or are we depending on ourselves? We can look at our prayer life and we know pretty quickly who and what we're depending on. The lack of prayer in our life or an overflow of prayer in our life gives us an indication of our dependence on Christ. Are we praying when trials, struggles come our way? What about when life is going well, when life is smooth sailing? Are we praying? But let's go back to this idea of Christ saying we should have faith like a child. Because there's another important aspect about children. It's, it's their openness. They are vulnerable. They are themselves. They are too oblivious to hide who they really are. We see their flaws, their weakness, their sinfulness. Our children come to us warts and all. A child is self-absorbed. They don't recognize that the world does not revolve around them. For example, I know this in real time because I have children. My wife can be multitasking. She can be doing like three or four things at once. She can be doing the dishes. She can be cooking dinner. She can be feeding the baby. She can be at the same time singing songs. And one of our children will come up to her and say, Mommy, can you go get me this? Or Mommy, I need this. Or Mommy, please go get this for me. They don't notice how busy my wife is at that moment because they're oblivious. They think the world revolves around them. But they come to us as they are. And similarly, God wants us to come to him as we are. He doesn't want us to try to clean ourselves up first. This is the point of the gospel, right? Which says, come messy, come distracted, come hopeless, come helpless. The Bible doesn't say all who are strong or all who have it together, or all who are perfect, come to me. No, Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, just jot it down, come to me, all who are tired from carrying heavy loads, and I will give you rest. Give you rest. The gospel and prayer invites the tired, the weak, the broken, the sinful. Prayer reflects the gospel. Prayer is the continuation of God's grace in the believer's life. Prayer. Point number two says prayer is for the weak and helpless. Point number two says prayer is for the weak and the helpless. I don't know if you ever thought about it, but the very fact that God calls us to pray reveals our weak stature, that we are vulnerable to the enemy, that we can't make it on our own, that we are hopeless and helpless within ourselves, within our own strength. And Christ says, come all of those who know they need help, who have lost hope, who are struggling, who are barely making it, come to me. Prayer reveals that we are in continued, ongoing need of Christ. Paul Miller says this in his amazing book on prayer. You don't need more self 
self-discipline to pray continuously. You just need to be poor in spirit. We often blame a lack of prayer in our life as a discipline issue. If I was just more disciplined, I would pray. But often, biblically, we see the reason why most of us aren't praying is not because because we're not corn spirit, because we're not depending on Christ. It's the very opposite. We're full of pride, we're self-absorbed, and we're often relying on ourselves. And if we're that way, why should we pray? We don't recognize our desperation for Christ, our ongoing need of God's grace in our life. Why should we pray when we're self-reliant? Why should we pray if we look down on others and not see the need ourselves? Our helplessness, our brokenness, our sinfulness becomes evident before a perfect, holy, and powerful God. When we're in the presence of God, the closer we get to Christ, the more God's holiness shines on us, revealing our sinfulness. And we begin to have a more accurate view of ourselves. We see ourselves through the lens of the gospel. The need for God's grace becomes apparent. It becomes evident to us as we see our weakness and sinfulness. This drives us to our knees as we hear the words of John Newton who said this, I am a great sinner and Christ is a great savior. The scales come off our eyes and we see our self-righteousness, our pride, our dependence on self. We see that anything good that comes out of us is from the Holy Spirit working in us and through us alone, period. This perspective should drive us, lead us to prayer. If I have the right view that I am weak and it is Christ that makes me strong, then I rely on him. This should drive us to our knees, church. Paul Miller, again, says this. Prayer mirrors the gospel. In the gospel, the Father takes us as we are because of Jesus and gives us his gift of salvation. And in prayer, the Father receives us as we are because of Jesus and gives us the gift of help. So we see that God doesn't offer us advice on how to feel better. No, God offers himself, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the gospel. And in return, he pours out his unfathomable grace on us. And now God receives us and helps us through the avenue of prayer. Does that excite us anymore? Are we sort of numb to that idea? Oh, yeah, I got all those things going on in my life. I have all these things I got to do. Do you realize you've been saved? You're actually going to spend eternity with God. And I wonder with some of us having that attitude if we're saved at all. Do we see our weakness, our sinfulness this morning? If we don't see our sinfulness, we won't see the need for Christ either. And if we don't see our need for Christ, then we won't see our real need to pray either. Are we in awe of God's grace? Are we dependent on Christ? Are we turning to him in prayer? But another question is when should we pray? 
When should we pray? Should we pray when life is going well, running smoothly, when lives are, our life is firing in all cylinders? Or do we pray when trials or problems occur? Well, let's go back to our main text. And we're in Ephesians 6, 18, 6, 18. Why don't you turn your Bibles there? Paul says this. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. So Paul says to pray at all times. And the Greek word here for all times, it means all times. When our marriage sings or when our marriage is in shambles, guess what we do? We pray. When our children are being obedient or our children are being disobedient, guess what we're called to do? Pray. When we're getting along with the in-laws or when the in-laws become outlaws, guess what we're supposed to do? Pray. When we get a, a job promotion or we lose our job, guess what we're called to do? Pray. Paul says to the Thessalonian church, pray continuously. Or other versions say pray without ceasing. Our life is called to be bathed in prayer. We should live a lifestyle of prayer as we are always in the presence of God. Sinclair Ferguson says this, the wise Christian therefore adopts what we might call the sanctuary principle, keeping within the heart a place of devotion to the Lord, which meant we are always in the presence of God and we talk to him moment by moment through prayer. How prayerful are we? Do we pray about the situations that we're facing today? Are we praying about the blessings that we have? But another question that we could ask is what does it mean in Ephesians 6.18 when Paul says to pray at all times in the Spirit? What does it actually mean when it says pray at all times in the Spirit? Does praying in the Spirit mean here that we better all speak in tongues? Or does praying in the Spirit mean we look to some inner feeling and assume that the Holy Spirit is guiding us? Is that what it means? I would suggest not because of this. It's not talking about speaking in tongues because Paul here gives a general command to all the believers to pray in the Spirit. And looking at other passages in Scripture, we learn that speaking in tongues is just one of the gifts that the believers had. Right? So the first question we could ask ourselves about Praying in the Spirit is, does our prayers line up with the Word of God? Our pray, our, do our prayers, are they lining up, are they in accordance to plain Scripture? This is part of how we know if we're praying in the Spirit. If someone is praying things that contradict God's clear Word, then you know they are not playing, praying in the Spirit. They're actually praying in the flesh, we would learn. In scripture, for example, if someone is contemplating divorce because they're interested in someone else and they pray to God to get his approval for their divorce, are they praying in the spirit? Of course not, right? Obviously, this person is not being led by the spirit, but the flesh, because their prayer 
contradicts clear scripture. Praying in the spirit is for the believer who has submitted his mind, his will, his thoughts, and his desires to the word of God. They're under the authority of scripture. The other element to praying in the spirit goes back to our dependence on God. Let's look at Romans 8 verse 26. Open your Bibles to Romans 8 verse 26. Romans 8, 26, Paul talking to the church at Rome says this, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So we see here that Scripture is saying in our weakness, in our dependence on Christ, the Holy Spirit speaks on our behalf for us when we don't even know what to say it says here. So what does it look like to pray in the Spirit? Well, point number three says this. It looks like one who is submitted to the Word of God and is controlled by the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. It looks like one who is submitted to the Word of God and is controlled by the Holy Spirit. Are we praying in the Spirit? Is the Word of God our authority? Does our prayers line up with the clear teachings of Scripture? Well, a final question, or a slew of questions we might want to ask about prayer is, how does it work? I mean, does our prayers actually do anything? Is there power in prayer? There's a lot of books that say the power of prayer, right? Can God be totally sovereign and our prayers make a difference in the world or even in our own lives? Well, let's go back to our main text. Go back to Ephesians 6, verse 18, and we're going to go all the way through 20 here. So go back to Ephesians 6, 18 through 20. And you may have noticed that we've only scratched the first part of verse 18, so I'll have to be pretty brief with the rest of the verses. And I'll read the whole thing. It's an entirety here. Paul says, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that Words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare boldly as I ought to speak. So we get this picture of Paul's in intensity as he talks about prayer. And Paul is not sitting at Starbucks sipping on a latte when he, he's, he's not enjoying the finer things of life as he pens these words. No, he's sitting under house arrest recognizing the war that he is in and the rest of what Christendom is facing at that moment. And Paul has the Jews who hate Christians vehemently on one side. Paul has the Roman Empire who has no tolerance for Christianity either on the other side. As in a few years, we know that Nero and then later Domitian, both Roman emperors, would try to exterminate Christianity from the face of the earth. 
Paul is pleading with his fellow brothers and sisters to be prayerful. Pray. Paul says in our verses, let's look at some of the words he uses. He says in our verses, pray always, be alert, and persevere, and pray for all the saints. Why? Because they're in a battle. They're in a battle for people's lives and souls. Paul sounds sort of like Christ right here. Before the Roman soldiers came into the garden and took Christ away. You can just jot this reference down, but in Matthew 26, 41, Jesus says to his disciples, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So both Paul and Jesus seem to think that prayer is a very crucial thing for us to be doing and practicing as a discipline in our lives. It is true that prayer helps us. It changes us. It shows us our dependence on Christ. But it also changes the direction of events and ultimately our lives. Charles Spurgeon, the great prince of preachers, said this, Even as the moon influences the tides of the sea, so does prayer influence the tides of godliness. Charles Spurgeon recognized the power of prayer. We also believe wholly that God, that he is in control of everything, and it is God who gives life, and it is God who takes away life. But at the same time, God in his sovereignty has our prayers working in the middle of his providence. And I really don't understand it, but I'll talk to him when we get up there. Paul says, pray, Christian, because if you don't, saints elsewhere may have a hard time being bold for Christ. Paul says, pray for me so that I may continue to have boldness to pray for Christ. I mean, to to have boldness to share Christ with others. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul? who withstood the worst of situations, being stoned almost to death, beaten on numerous occasions, without food and water at different times, in prison often, left to die, left at sea day and night. And he tells his fellow, fellow Christians, guys, you got to pray for me. i got to make sure I'm bold for Christ in the, in the upcoming situations I'm facing because I'm going to share the gospel with people that are going to want to kill me and I need to be bold. Paul is pleading with his fellow brothers and sisters to pray, to be diligent and pray. Paul recognized where his strength came from. And it wasn't in himself, but the spirit working through him. And prayer was the key to his strength, his courage, to his faithfulness in Christ. Which leads to point number four. Prayer transforms people and circumstances. Prayer transforms people and circumstances. Are we praying for other saints? Are we praying for other saints like Paul tells the Christians to be doing? All over the world right now, Christians are being persecuted and killed, being mistreated because they love Christ. Are we praying for them, church? Are we praying diligently about the situations that we're facing today? Our marriages, our families, our homes, our personal struggles that we face. Things like depression, fear, worry, lust, anger. 
Are we praying for the church as we continue to move forward for God's glory? Satan is alive and well, and he is desperate to destroy what God is doing in the world, including what he's doing here at the family church. As the family church becomes more biblically based, there is nothing more Satan would love to do than destroy what God is building. Let me just say that Pastor Casey and myself, we are in need of your prayers. We covet your prayers. Through prayer and obeying scripture, God will continue to be magnified here at the family church. Leonard Ravenhill said this, the true church lives and moves and has its being in prayer. James 4 at the end of verse 2 says, you do not have because you do not ask. James says, we have not asked. James says, we have not because we ask not, right? It is plain that God's sovereignty has made it that he wants us to ask and it says that he will respond. Prayer changes people and circumstances. Prayer cuts through man's will. Man's supposed free will. He cuts right through it and he transforms the hardest of hearts. Do we see the power of prayer this morning? Have we experienced the power of prayer? In conclusion... Leonard Ravenhill also said this. No man is greater than his prayer life. The pastor who is not praying is playing. The people who are not praying are straying. Prayer changes everything. Through prayer, people are transformed. Through prayer, families are set free. Through prayer, churches repent of being like the world. Through prayer, cities are rebuilt. Through prayer, countries turn to Christ. Through prayer, the world is turned upside down. Do we believe this? How prayerful are we as individuals? What about in our homes? Are we teaching our children how to pray? We're desperate to get them to know how to do their math, but are we teaching them desperately how to pray? What about his families? Are we praying together? Would we categorize our church as a praying church? That's a scary thought. Would we categorize our church as a praying church right now? Prayer reveals our dependence on Christ. The reality that we are weak and we are in need of Christ's help. May we be known as a church on our knees. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Holy Father, I ask that you wake us up. Help us to depend on you, Father, and our strength. Father, I ask that you help us to depend on you instead of ourselves. Often it seems like prayer is a forgotten resource in our lives as we're too busy doing things, too busy making things happen in our own flesh instead of working through your power of the Spirit. Help us, Father, to be diligent Humble us. Break us. Help us to be dependent on you through your spirit, Lord. We thank you for your sovereign work that you have allowed us to be able to talk about prayer this morning. I ask that you speak to our hearts, that you use your word to cut through our often sort of numb hearts. May your spirit make our hearts sensitive to the sin that's in our life. 
Help us to be excited again for your grace. Help us to be diligent in our prayer life. We love and praise you. And it's through Christ's name. Amen.